Hi, I'm Nikki Felbert. I'm a filmmaker and continuous seeker of life's truth and natural magic. And here's where I get to share amazing interviews and bindings with you, from people that have followed a calling and have a wealth of knowledge to share. Candice, thank you so much for being here. Candice Mostert is the founder of Waste Ed, um, and she has done phenomenal things with waste bringing EcoBricks into South Africa. Tell me a bit how you got into recycling. Is that what you studied? How does, that, mm. how does it work and how have you started to make a living from mm. waste management? Good question. <laughs> I felt super passionate about waste when I was educated by somebody else. So I met someone from Santa Fe, New Mexico who had been working with EcoBricks there. And he was doing his thesis in a small town called Grayton, just outside of Cape Town. Yeah. At the time I was studying photography uh, and working as a photojournalist in Cape Argus, Cape Times. So I did a story on him. He was trying to rehabilitate a dump site in a small town called Grayton. Um, and he was trying to reclaim those materials, the tires, the non-recyclables, and try and utilize it into creating a green park. So basically replacing the landfill the closed dump site, which, which it was closed, and, and turning it into a green park for the community. Um, and he was a music lover, so he wanted to bring the community there, throw a big bash, we called it the Trash to Treasure Festival, <laughs> um, nice. and you know play music on that site and basically just give life to that site again, which it had just been abused, you know, yeah. and I loved that idea. So I did a story on it initially for the Cape Argus Cape Times. Yeah. And um, then, I was just in that time, place in my life, I was 20, I really got on with Joe and we just decided let's do the festival together, you know, and I could, I could leave the newspaper at the time. Um, and Joe and I threw the first Trash to Treasure Festival in 2012. Yeah. And we can't continue doing it annually for three years after that. Yeah. And I was then hired by the funder of that Trash to Treasure project, Great and Transition Town, wow. to be their project manager. They had just started transition towns in South Africa. And if you look into that, it's Rob Hopkins theory that uh, small towns can become sustainable in them by themselves. Right. So water, energy, housing, electricity. So Grayton was actually the first transition town in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I was the project manager for, for that to start happening. I didn't actually know that about Grayton. It's, mm. it's such an amazing and beautiful yeah. town. So um, special. I could have lived there forever. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it is a place that you actually could mm. go and live in because yeah. it's got a wonderful community. Mm. And so how does that actually work? What is the transition and how does it look from what it was to what it is mm. now? So, you know, I never went into this work saying, you know, here's a business plan. This is what I want to do with EcoBricks. This is my vision. Um, I was just inspired by, by, by the community in Grayton, by Joe Stodgill. And I could see that just by talking about non-recyclables and the potential it had, it got other people excited. So I could see how that passion was rubbing off other people. And I thought, wow, this is great. I need to talk about this because I literally didn't even myself think about my waste until that moment, until somebody else spoke to me and with passion and with enthusiasm and that got me excited. So I, I could kind of see that that could have potential to get other people excited and to share this word because I mean, we can't just be going around not recycling, not dealing with our waste like I was uh, yeah. the minutes before this, this guy had um, kind of taught me and, and showed me. So, so, you know, literally I would just put everything in one bin. That's how I was taught from, from home. And I didn't even think about anything else. So, so sh 
kind of learning about the EcoBrick opened up doors to composting and food waste. It opened the doors to recycling in my country. You know, who is recycling what? How does that work? And then it also, you know, begged the question of, well, what are these non-recyclables and how do they fit into South Africa? So um, I started asking those questions. You know, I did, had no idea what I was getting myself into, to be honest, at all. But I thought it was interesting and I thought, you know, people should hear more about it. Um, but I didn't think that I was necessarily going to be starting a project based on it for the, the next 10 years of my life. Um, but working for Greats in Transition Town was amazing. Um, and I could see through that work, even though there was lots of elements within that work, there was you know, solar powered energy for the schools, there was water, housing, um, but my, I was very passionate and interested about the waste and I could see how that could connect with the restaurants and what they're handing out to customers. So we did a variety of different school projects, business projects within those three, four years of throwing the trash to treasure festival to try and really utilize it as a focus point for the community to look at waste in a different way. And that excited me. So I can hear, I can <laughs> hear you've got so much passion for what you do mm. and it is something incredibly important. Mm. We have so much waste. Mm. Um, I, I want to know what it looks like to be a transition town. Mm. So as to take Grayton as an example, mm. before it uh, transitioned mm. and now that it has transitioned, mm. what are the changes mm. that it, a town goes through mm. in order to to be the transit that mm. transition, transition town? town yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they had a lot of goals and I think it was also very challenging for them because not, not, not necessarily everybody was on the same page. One of the first things we realized was a huge issue was drugs and alcohol. Um, and that was such a hindering thing to everything in, in terms of waste education, in terms of um, yeah, how the schools interacted with energy and everything. Because if, if you're going to leave school and you don't really have a lot of prospects, that waste isn't on your radar. It's not right. important to you. No? I, didn't, that didn't even, I didn't even think about that, that, yeah. that something like drugs and alcohol would hinder yeah would make growing. such a difference yeah. in waste management yeah. but uh, that makes complete yeah. sense yeah so so a lot of the because also Greater and just like most countries in South Africa are um, they're dealing with obviously apartheid uh, backlash so we've got you know a small little town that had uh, people living um, happily and then they were forcefully removed just up the road and now they've got these little RDP houses and then they come down and they're workers to these people who have bought the these old houses so mostly foreigners um, who have absolutely no idea the history and really whose house this was or anything like that but I had friends that would literally be able to uh, come down and point where the houses used to be and now they're 40 years old and now they're living in this little shack up top wow. and so that that was one of the big kind of issues and then um, what's happened with drugs and gangsterism is that it's actually a lot easier to control in small towns a gang to control a gang in a small town is easier than than a big city um, mm. kind of situation so you find that there's a lot of corruption and um, it's very difficult to kind of deal with with the t there's took um, you know bigger drugs it's not small drugs it's big drugs and uh, prostitution even and things like that so mm. um, 
yeah, unfortunately, you know, it, it was we had to really look at that and say, how could we deal with this as well as the waste and, and, and provide opportunities for people. And there aren't a lot of opportunities in a small town like Grayton. You can mm. become a gardener, you can become a maid, you can become a cashier at one of the shops, you can become, there's only one little garage, so you can become a garage attendant. Um, maybe you can start your own business, but it's so small that, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, I mean, they've, they've done amazing things in terms of, you know, trying to get solar panels for the schools and trying to change the energy systems. They've got really great Levata systems already within yes. the houses. Yes. So it was looking at, um, at an alternative RDP housing system. Which so wait, pause that. Yeah. Levata for those that mm. don't speak Afrikaans. Is a sure. I don't even know what it means. <laughs> like what the English translation to well, Levata. So, so what it what it looks like is mm. outside each house there there are um, canals actually mm. in Grayton mm. where the water moves through and they. Um, yeah, they fills. You've got like a little uh, sliding gate that you can open up your Levata to get, allow water. Each house has like a reservoir which they either use as a pool or a pond. So each each house has access to water. It was designed very beautifully in yeah. that way. Like I mean, I love that as part yeah. of management of our environment. Mm. It was uh, very, very clever. That was a, that's a really yeah. great part of Grayton. Yeah. But obviously, Gnadendal, which is the RDP housing handover area, didn't get any of that. Um, right. Okay. <laughs> see, so I haven't <laughs> even gone to see that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's so amazing up there. And the local, the people are all local from the mountains. You know, they're like Khoisan history, yes. incredibly beautiful people. Yes. So that's who I spent most of my time with. There were some young, I mean, I was 20, I'm now 30. It's been 10 years of my life devoted to this work. And so it's a big time for me. I feel like it's like yeah a very special kind of chapter of who I was at 20 and now I'm 30 and I've had kids and it's all a journey mm, but um kids. yeah <laughs> I, I uh I we hung out with the country conquerors they're a local band from Hevelkroon um and Gnadendal and they sang about Tuk and all these things that were happening to their community and yeah. that's why we loved working with them because they were also very passionate um, individuals. Marshall Rinquist now is the director of Great and Transition Town so it was handed over to a local um, and he he's done really amazing stuff with Great and Transition Town uh, with the schools They're, they've got eco crews for each school and initially we had brought them to the green park to this closed dump site turning into a green park and that was our education space so we yeah. built with them over three years we would do eco education every week Marshall and I um, and we would uh, bring them to the green park would help us plant trees every year so we were greening it as we went we were building as we went so we had this outdoor classroom idea and over the three years each school were, were collecting eco bricks and then in our eco crew sessions we would build that structure so when i left in 2016 17 there was an outdoor classroom that we had built there out of about 7,000 eco bricks and we used the local community to help us build it. I mean, they were already uh, builders themselves. Um, I was actually living in a straw bale and cob house. Yes. Nikki Vernon was the director, and she had built these structures with some of the local community on her farm, um, which is a great sustainable building method. Um, so that was my first feeling of what it felt like to live in a sustainable house but a natural house, yes. you know, I was living in a mud house yeah. with a lime kind of cementy plaster and it was, my walls were built out of straw bale. I made a fire every night with my pine cones and it was beautiful. I had a compost toilet outside. In the winter it was slightly cold, but yeah. generally it was completely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and I had a garden 
Um, Don't go outside <laughs> in the room when it's raining. <laughs> I had to if you needed to, you know, but sometimes there was a, you know, little garden I could just pee in and, and then there was the toilet if I needed to do something more. Right. <laughs> um, yeah it's really getting back to nature yeah <laughs> exactly and i just absolutely loved it at 20 you know a lot of people are like oh you lived in Grayton when you were 20 um, but i really loved it so so we would bring the local community there for these annual festivals we would use the festival as a showcase of different ways we would get artists to come in and make a big whale we would get whoever could showcase anything about waste so that the community could come and hang out have a good party country conquerors would sing um, and be one of the bands out of many yeah. and then through that we would you know use their songs about drugs and things like that to hopefully you know change mindsets and and mm. in the work that we did through the the eco cruise um, in each school to show them the potential that they that they had you know bigger in the world but also how they could change their local community you know that was that was my main aim you know I loved yeah. working with the kids um, and, and you're still doing that yeah so I kind of when I left there I kind of took that and made that into what Wasted is kind of today. Um, yes. So yeah, I, I left there and I thought, I didn't even want to name Wasted or anything, the work that I was doing. I didn't really know exactly how to move forward, but because I had worked with Ecobricks, um, I started getting a lot of requests and just emails saying, you know, we're a school, we want to do something, um, what do you think? And so I started just designing from that. I literally designed Wasted based on what my community was asking me to do yes. or what my community's needs were. Yes. So um, it was a slow process. I worked part time for many years initially in the beginning. And then I was able to say, OK, well, I need to be able to go to school presentations and things like that. I can't be doing another job. So I then took the big leap to do it full time. And luckily, my partner was supporting me with his job. Um, so I was able to do Wasted a little bit more full time. It never made me a huge amount of money. It was it was meant to kind of be a an NGO or a non-profit kind of project. A service. Um, a service, exactly. That you loved doing. That I loved doing, exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to label it or name it. I didn't even know what it was. I was just <laughs> helping people <laughs> and talking about waste. And if that could help other people, then cool, you know, just like yeah. it had helped me. Tell me what an Echo Brick is. What does it look like? Yeah. Okay, so EcoBrick is a plastic bottle that's stuffed tightly with clean and dry non-recyclable material. Okay. Pause. Mm. So often we use those five liter bottles mm. that you would get water in, yeah. okay? That's, that's how I kind of use it. Yeah. Um, and then plastic that isn't recyclable. Mm. They, I think there's so much, like I have been recycling for many years, mm. but I, I only recently realized that I'm recycling non-recyclable plastic because it's got a triangle on it with a number in it. And I'm like, OK, that means it's recyclable, yeah. but it doesn't. Right. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what what plastic is recyclable yeah. and, and what yeah. would you put into the echo brick? So yes. you're putting into the echo brick what is not recyclable. Exactly. And, and it has to be dry, right? Exactly. I remember. So I met, Candace, I met Candace at a, at a festival and her and her husband were serving the festival by making sure everyone was recycling and i really learned so much from that and i it, it actually made it fun wow <laughs> <laughs> cool um, and so yeah stuffing the stuffing those yeah. those echo bricks with with the yeah. soft plastic yeah. but then where's the crossover mm. what how do I know what I can mm. put in my recycle bin and what I need mm. to put in my, my bag for mm. echo bricking? Yeah. So one of my main lessons throughout these years has been that it is the lack of participation that's the problem with our society for most things. 
Um, so it's the same with our waste and why I love the EcoBrick so much because you, through your stuffing, do you ask questions, do you connect um, and you learn, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what, what we learned over the years is that for South Africa, obviously each country is different, okay? So for South Africa, we have not government doing one thing with recycling, which would make it a lot easier for mm. us to say, this is recyclable, this is not. But what we have is we've got private companies who've taken the opportunity to make a business out of recycling, which mm -hmm. is great. But each private company has a different facility. Maybe they got funding and they only have a small space and they, or maybe they only have a certain machines that can process things in a certain way. So it's based on private companies and their demand and their facilities. So when I say demand, I mean here in Hout Bay, we might have a lot more um, certain type of bottles that another area doesn't have. Yes. Um, so that's what I mean by demand. And that's kind of how recyclers work is they look at what they've got and then they, they process it. And sometimes they need a really big amount in order to sell it off to somebody else. And if they can't get enough, it's not worth it for them even to process or package right. because it's, they're not gonna be able to sell it for enough, right? So that's, that's how our, our recycling private sector kind of works um, and and so what it asks us to do as South Africans is to connect with our recycler right. and to say okay well we don't have a one answer what's recyclable what's not it is based on each recycler um, so I've got to give them a call and there's mm. that participation again you know you were disconnected to your recycler um, now you have to phone them up and you've got to ask them some questions and you've got to get a little bit more connected to your community recycler Mm. And then you can ask him, you know, so generally your paper cardboard is recyclable, your glass, your metal. So those are easy ones. Yes. But then it comes to the plastic. Yes. And that's when you can ask him specifically, which resin codes do you recycle and which ones don't? What's so that's what you were code? talking about. <laughs> yeah. The resin code is the little triangle on the packaging that has the number in it. Yeah. So it doesn't represent that it's recyclable. What it represents is what it's made out of and what its melting point is. Ah. So that triangle is not for the consumer, yes. it's for the recycler, right. so that he knows what melting point that plastic is, so that he can put it in the right category in order to sell it. And each resin code has a different value in terms of se selling it as well. Mm -hmm. You get your better quality plastics, like your number one, which is your plastic bottle. Number two is also a very good quality. It's your high density polyethylene. Normally your lids are made out of those, your shampoo bottles. Yeah. Um, and even resin number three is PVC, that's our piping, you know, it's quite a hard resin, um, but it's not generally as recyclable as the other ones. Right. So I could generally say that number three, number five and number six aren't as commonly recycled in South Africa yes. as the other resins, one, okay. two and, and four. And, it, and for um, general con uh, municipal solid waste, we call it like what, what we consume as um, uh, individuals, not necessarily industry. Um, uh, it's generally from resin, from resin one to resin seven. So you don't, you do get more resins than that, but that's kind of what we deal mm, with yeah. on a local level. Yeah. So that's kind of what we have to start getting used to or looking at is the resin code and asking my recycler whether he does process that resin or not. Yeah. And from there, you can kind of decide what you're going to put in your eco brick or not because yeah. you've connected with your recycler, you know what he can and can't process. Um, and now you're stuffing the things that you can't. So if you are, you want to start recycling or recycle a little bit more, but the thought of 
finding who my recycler is is just a little bit overwhelming because my life is stressful. Mm. Um, so I, I always tell my friends just start with glass because there's, uh, there's more mm. glass uh, drop-off points than anything That's else. True. So like just start with your, with your wine bottles, beer mm. bottles mm. Um, and, and any, any mm. glass stuff. So mm. like that, that for me, I like to tell people like mm. if you're not recycling at all, Start with your glass. No, it's that's easy. a really good idea. Yeah. yeah. No chip packets in the recycling, right? Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. chip packets. Um, unless it's a paper one, but that's very rare. Yeah, very <laughs> Maybe rare. Maybe at a, a market. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then so what I've started to, like, we've, I've just started to realize is to put anything, any soft plastics mm. into the mm. echo brick. Yeah, again, the resin, put, like for example, resin number four is normally what our beer bottles come out, um, the plastic that's around our beer bottles, our ice uh, uh, packets, that's number four as well. It's a really good hardy plastic and it is quite, quite recyclable, okay. you know. So the thing know. is, you don't want to avoid, you don't want to uh, hinder the recycling industry because the recycling industry is already struggling so much, you right. know. So, so I think, you know, we should recycle as much as we can. Yes. Um, and and um, the eco brick should really just be for these things that that just are outright not recyclable or like so chip packets. like chip packets exactly <laughs> yeah. so that kind of fits more into a multi hybrid packaging mm -hmm. where it's got more than one resin or mm. more than one material so mm. the chip packet has uh, as it looks like a metal inside but it's actually just a different resin ah. so so it is all plastic but it's got different resins and that's why it's so impossible to even separate it it's like tetra pack Mm. which is those milk carton bottle. Uh, uh, it's got a metal inside, a cardboard outside, a plastic layer outside. So that wasn't recyclable for years in South Africa. Yeah. And I think it was like 10 years ago now, seven years ago now that they did, some companies started recycling Tetra right. Pak. But again, that's a question that you've got to ask your recycler. Do you process Tetra Pak? And he yes. might say yes, and he might say no, you right. know. Okay. Um, so it is, it is tricky, you know, and that's why we do this work um, to, to try and help people through this process and, and help them. Will you find that most recyclers if you put um, most of your hard plastics not the plastic that covers your vegetables because mm. that's super soft exactly. and that would go into yeah. your into your echo brick mm. but um, if I put what I th I'm not 100% sure I can't remember the numbers and I'm just gonna put it in my mm. recycling bag mm. and take it mm. so that they then will will they echo brick um, things that they can't recycle mm. but they will then uh, sort it most people sort it and each recycling depot or recycling company will dump a certain amount so yeah. for example a small company that i know of um dumps about three tons a month whoa yeah and that's if things are contaminated that's number one is a very big mean? thing is, is that if it's dirty, is, oh, if it's dirty. Or so if it hasn't been washed exactly so you obviously don't have to wash a chip packet you know yeah. that's somewhat dry and you can just make sure there's not really much chips left in there but if it's a hummus container yes. or something that's got wetty liquid in there that's what you've got to they clean out most companies will throw that most out. companies will throw it out some of them do have washing facilities but mm. especially the water use in cape town most of them don't mm. so whatever's dirty or contaminated they separate and the other problem about contamination is that it dirties your recycling bin which means that it might not it might contaminate other things yeah. that was ready clean to be recycled but then the source kind of somehow got onto it and then they'll mm. just dump that whole oh bag kind goodness. of thing so, and have, do you have data on the the use of water to clean something as mm. and recycling it? Is it worth mm. using your water? Because mm. you know, in Cape Town, we've had water issues, and I know mm. in a lot of cities around the world, there's mm. water issues. Yeah. Is it is it worth recycling 
if you have to use a fair mm. amount of water to clean out something oily. It's definitely worth it because in the long run, it's going to be sitting somewhere, creating a lot of problems for that environment. Yeah. And all you've got to do is just utilize your leftover dishwashing water. Yes. So that's what I do is I, you know, I fill up my basin, I wash all my dishes and then that w dirty water at the end, that's what I use to rinse. So I basically treat my recyclables and my non-recyclables that are dirty as a d dish yes. and I clean it at the end yes. um, and then I don't have to use any extra water, just yeah. utilize the, the washing water for my dishes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have dishwashers, but they still then, I mean, I know a lot of people that You've got to rinse, rinse before you di before put a dishwasher. Put it in it. Yeah, most, most people, I, yeah. I think, do that. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah do. well, we, exactly. We're renting a house that's yeah. got a dishwasher, and we were told that we have to rinse the stuff beforehand. So yeah. I think that is the case. Yeah, so in that case, if you're rinsing, you might as well just mm. rinse off mm. the other the, exactly. the recyclables as well. Exactly. And it's yeah. just... It's a small step. It is. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I, I understand that people find recycling quite overwhelming. Mm. It's like their lives are stressful. And yep. yeah, it's like one step at a time. You start mm. with the glass, mm. then add tins maybe mm. or, or dry plastic, mm. easy plastic. Mm. Um, and yeah. you can just add one thing at a time. Exactly. And then moving past recycling, I mean, you also do waste management. It's mm. not just about recycling. Mm, exactly. um, so that's then using your food waste, mm. right? Exactly, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the interesting the, the little comment about the one thing at a time, because I think it is a useful tip to people, but I also think what I found with businesses when they go, look, we're just going to start with a paper bin and we're just going to focus on our paper. And then when they keep adding things, then they feel even more overwhelmed because now they've got a paper bin here, they've got this bin here for the batteries, they've got this bin here, there's not enough space because our place is quite small and then they get overwhelmed mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So, so what I found over the years now is that a three bin system really seems to be the best easy to do because you don't need to separate your glass from your metal to your cardboard to your then yes. you need 500 bins yes. and it just becomes too much and your yeah. battery you know so a three bin system really is more than efficient uh, more than enough that you need and the first one is food waste yes okay and in your home or even in your business what you could do is you could have a old ice cream bucket or you could buy yourself a bucket something that's littered um, and that's what you put your food waste in, right? So that means that everything wet that could have potentially contaminated those recyclables are now being separated, which is really great. And that is yeah. one of the biggest contributors to the methane gas problem in our landfills is oh. food waste. Okay. So separating food waste is even bigger than EcoBricks, in my opinion. It is so important and so valuable because we can create soil from that again. And yes. South Africa imports soils and fertilizers. So we could potentially be making our own beautiful local soils from yes. our own local gardens, um, or from our, the food that we, we eat, you know, so. So explain how to do that. Okay, yep. sorry, finish the three bin system mm, three and then bin we'll system. move on to yeah. the, the, how to use the waste. Exactly, so food waste in a bucket, um, a small bucket on your kitchen table so that as you're chopping, you can just easily put it in there and it's separate from your bin. And then from that small bucket, you're putting it into a bigger bucket, maybe that you're keeping outside your house. Uh, if you've got a little balcony or something, it's also closed. Um, and that takes about a month if you're a family of four to fill up. Yeah. Um, and then that you need to take either to your own garden yes. if you have a facility or another garden that is processing food waste. So yes. that's food waste, number one. Then number two is recyclables. So now you've kind of connected with your recycler or you're just kind of taking advice from what we've said here and you're separating those really uh, good quality uh, glass, metal, plastic, um, glass, metal, cardboard, but also some of the good quality plastics. 
um, and they're clean and dry because you've rinsed them with your uh, dishes. And then you're left with these non-recyclables. I also call them bits and bobs yeah. because it's, it's mostly the smaller things that not are hard to identify or like put in a category. For example, a broken hair tie, yes. a broken bra, bra strap, yes. uh, synthetic pantyhose, yeah. you know, like all these kind of really random bits and bobs, the head that broke off your child's Barbie doll, yeah. um, those types of things. The, dog ball that he ate up into tiny little pieces <laughs> you know those are the little yeah. bits and bobs that go there that would be forgotten in a recycling system yes an example is the straw it's made out of resin number two so it is highly recyclable but because it's so small it's so much effort for a recycler to collect to make a profit out of you would have yes. to do two thousand straws to make a two rand kind yeah. of concept yeah. so yeah. so those bits and bobs even though you might find oh it is made from a recyclable material the size of it is often also a problem so mm. not only do we have to look at the resin codes and how our system in south africa works but also the actual products and what what the size of them and how they're made affects the longer term situation or yes. what happens to them afterwards which is quite Question. interesting in south africa we we a lot of our our bread is in a plastic bag and mm. then has a a, a harder plastic mm. white tag mm. to close it mm. so i would echo definitely echo brick the soft plastic around mm. the, the bread mm. and the tag that's mm. hard plastic mm. is that recyclable or does that go into the echo brick well because it's so small and you know you've heard of these bread tag that's projects a and bob. that's a bit and bob <laughs> exactly you know it yeah. might not a land up there or being recycled it's so small it's probably going to fall out and it's just not something that recyclers collect is small tiny things chip packets yeah. sweetie rabbits all those things lollipop sticks straws it's just not okay. something that is valuable yeah because a lollipop size. stick you like it's paper or something mm. a lot of them mm. but it's just too small to process mm. exactly and you could yeah. try compost your stick you know yes. it's also about if experimenting a, a little bit and yeah. seeing what is what it does especially if it's paper exactly um only if it's paper <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so of course now we've had all these compostable packagings coming into south africa because you know people were obviously becoming aware that polystyrene isn't so good and not being recycled so well um but then it also posed this question okay well you know how are we meant to compost it we don't really have a formal composting system in our country mm -hmm. so it's exciting to see that obviously the city of cape town has been looking at less food waste to landfill and that hopefully is creating momentum for businesses and schools to also look at their food waste because mm. that's really going to be a nice big chunk. I think it's something like 60% of our municipal solid waste is food waste. So wow. it is a really big chunk and then that separates all that contamination, wet stuff mm. for everything else to be nice and dry yes. and ready to be recycled. Yeah, and like you said, that food waste is creating methane, which is an issue, um, exactly. a, a, a mm. pollutant in, in our mm. atmosphere. Mm. Yeah. I know that Belleville uh, site is actually utilizing the methane now for, for energy. Uh, oh, Belleville great. landfill has been closed because um, we have three landfills in, in the Western Cape and uh, Fissahook, uh, the Musenberg Coastal Park one, and then Belleville was actually our biggest one um, and now they've closed it and they're collecting methane from it as an energy source so uh, that was quite interesting to learn as I well. Watched, I watched a documentary on um, on dairy and the the one farmer said he was uh, earning more money from methane than from milk. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. It was actually keeping his 
dairy business afloat. Oh wow. Yeah. How's that, eh? Yeah. Yeah, because cow patties can make energy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Indians do that quite a lot. They use their local cows to fuel their cooking devices. Oh, jeez. Mm. That sounds really good. Yeah, <laughs> a whole a whole closed loop system. And that's yeah. how it should be, you know. And and something very important to me over the years has also been that the message is not that plastic is an evil. It can be utilized, for example, in hospitals to save lives, yes. which we love and we appreciate, you know. So um, I think it's, it's to change the mindset that, you know, it's not that we're trying to completely cut out plastic in our lives and it's this evil. Um, there are pros and cons and within a hospital environment it's it's great and perhaps in a straw situation it's not so great you know so I, I almost wish we could just look at each and every packaging as a united nation and say okay this one doesn't serve us mm. out this one yes. serves us this one we can do this with you know and in my mind that's kind of how I would try and separate the products that aren't working and yeah. the products that are working. Yeah, and I mean, we as consumers can avoid the products that aren't working. Yeah, yeah. and that's what the eco brick kind of asks you to do because as you're stuffing, you're going, okay, is this recyclable or is it not? Okay, it's not. So why am I still buying it, you know? Yeah. For me, the eco brick is meant to be a goal setter and a tool to connect you to this waste and now help you set goals to phase these things out because it is a mission stuffing it, you know? Yeah. And um, so the idea is that it's a temporary solution and that when we don't want to be doing this forever because we also don't really want to be living in plastic houses either, you know, and yeah. we'll talk a little bit yeah. more about that. Yes, yes, That's that was actually one of my questions. Yeah, yeah around the echo bricking and then you're using mm. those echo bricks to create housing mm. structures, mm. which there's, mm. there's a whole load of... Yeah, so there was a lot of stuff online about that over the years that were, and I think that came because of South America and Guat Guatemala and Indonesia because they had built some houses or some structures. There was Hug It Forward, um, they had built uh, seven schools within a few years with the EcoBrick method. Uh, there was EcoBricks.org, which is um, Russell Mayer from Canada who uh, founded Love in Indonesia and he's been working there over the years and built a few structures. Um, but besides that, there hasn't been any houses that have built, been built out of EcoBricks. Mm. Um, and it was always a question for me, you know, in terms of long term, you know, having to test these things properly before building larger structures. And in any way, as I explained my experience living in that beautiful cob and straw bale house, yes. there's such amazing alternative natural building methods yes. that are still modern and cool. And, yes. you know, they're, they're not like those lovely curved lines in the building. Yeah, which is beautiful. It doesn't even have to. I mean, a straw bale has straight lines, mm. um, but cob does normally lend to a curved yes. line. Um, but uh, for me, that inspiration was more that, you know, the potential that sustainable natural building methods had for, for housing and for bigger structures compared to the high CO2 emissions mm. of cement. It's mm. one, of the, one of the biggest CO2 emissions in the world is really? cement production. Oh, my goodness. So this was also stuff that I just learned over the years, yes. you know, yeah. and, and started going, wow, okay, so that's why people in Indonesia and Guatemala have been building out of cob all these years, mm. um, which is the only way they've built with eco-bricks. For 30 years, it's been going on so in other countries. So you use the eco-bricks in between the, the cob walls, mm. so inside. Exactly, so they're completely covered. So that also covered. Form that, that keeps um, your building uh, warm or in, the, in the winter and yes. cool in the summer as well. Exactly, exactly. high thermal levels. Uh, cob. So cob is a mix of sand, straw, water and clay. So that's all the, that cob is. 
The straw is kind of the binder, it kind of keeps everything together. The sand is the strength that gives the structure strength. The clay is the glue and the water is just the additive to mix it all together. Um, and yes, so embedding your, your eco bricks in that. So there's two questions we're asking here. We're sequestering waste and how can we do that the best way possible? Like how people are burying nuclear waste, you know, yeah, they've designed yeah. these things and they've thought about it, how best to sequester this waste that we're dealing with. And then the other question is uh, the building of structures and how sustainable are those structures from production to breaking down that structure. Because mm. another big um, uh, thing that we add into our landfills is demolition waste, mm. which is also one of our biggest contributors to our landfill waste is the breaking down of all our buildings and building new ones. Um, nice. And so rubble waste is not dealt with in South Africa in a circle system. Um, it is just landfilled. So does that mean that you're using the eco bricks just to, um, to get rid of our waste? Or is it lending something to the building site mm. or to the building that you're living in? Mm. And my other question before I forget is will that plastic give off some sort of uh, pollutant mm. uh, into the atmosphere? Mm. Mm. Good questions. Yeah, so these are all the questions that I'm asking, that I think the world's asking, um, and partly why it's been such a slow journey for EcoBricks in South Africa, um, because we're the first kind of Western country that EcoBricks have kind of come into. So they've really just been used on a very grassroots level in small rural towns and communities, where it's really worked very well as a small holistic thing. You know, the school children are the ones that collect the EcoBricks from their rivers. There's a really big education aspect in that. And then for those kids to be building their own structures, I mean, that's what it's all about for me mm. um, in terms of a full circle, utilizing this as a tool, not only to change our waste systems in our country and look at what, what are the problems because we're connecting with it, but also teaching the building skills, teaching the caring skills with the children. So that's, that's what I'm super passionate about mm. and, and what I've been inspired by. Um, but being in, in a more Western country where people want to, you know, get things done quickly and, and put things in conventional things like cement, it was quite a, a shock to me because I had quite a lot of ideas in terms of doing it in this natural way. And then there, there were other people and other projects that started by themselves, you know. So yes. I was just on my own little mission um, with my own ideas and then Ian Dominis uh, was studying architecture and he came to our, um, our Trash to Treasure festivals and then he started Ecobrick Exchange, you know, so, so that was one big thing and, and I thought he, his vision was to exchange Ecobricks so we could kind of go on the websites and give our Ecobricks to something else that needed them, but that was not the case. I think he, his vision was more exchanging of skills or things like that, right. um, but he also opened up collections um, locally and then stopped. We had pick and pay open up nationwide collecting eco bricks. Oh, wow. But without really thinking about where would all these eco bricks go, they only yes. kind of looked at it afterwards because uh, they thought that there was enough projects for them to just pump the eco bricks into. But along actually contacting these organizations as well as myself, um, they found, you know, actually these are small local people that are just trying to do what they can and that there isn't necessarily this big funding. And I think that was mm. kind of, you know, when you look online and you hear all these things and from what it seems like 
the word of mouth was that oh, people are building houses and they're doing all these things, so just contribute your eco brick without really ever even contacting an organization beforehand. So many schools, unfortunately. I mean, we just have this naivety as human beings. We don't mm. really think about it beforehand. So mm. we hear from an auntie that there's an eco brick project. Oh, great, let's just introduce it to my school without contacting someone beforehand. So what you're saying is that they're not always used the eco bricks but is it still mm. worth making them mm. well i think you know they that's that's a big statement to say in this point of the conversation because you know if you're an individual school and you decide i want to make eco bricks and i want to do something with it because of this person that told me about it that's bad that's not taking responsibility because you haven't done your research you thought it was a cool project and then you jump into it but now you're left with all these eco bricks afterwards but now that's giving the the eco bricks and this whole concept that has so much potential a bad name because you didn't do proper research beforehand you know mm -hmm. and that's kind of what got me frustrated especially with the schools because you know we we had all this potential or the eco brick has this potential to really be a full circle participation project that can really educate the kids in, in many ways so mm. um, you know that's what I would like each and every school to do and then they would utilize their eco bricks if they said right you know we're gonna make 300 eco bricks to build this bench here's our funding to build this bench we just need 7,000 rand this is how we're gonna fund it by having a, a civvies there whatever it is and we're gonna make these 300 eco bricks by using our grade sevens, grade sixes, and grade fives. And they're gonna do a project where they're gonna look at what the top 10 items are that they stuffed. And we're gonna talk about those and do a presentation. And then at the end, we're gonna build with our 300 eco bricks as the end to our, you know, that's thinking about something holistically, full circle, mm -hmm. what's the end goal here? Or even the least, the, the least thing would be to just phone an organization beforehand and say, I'm a school, we'd like to start making eco bricks. Do you have the use for them mm. before making them? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so I started dealing with a lot of people's started projects that they didn't really think about beforehand. And mm. I literally felt like all this waste was on my shoulders. Like yeah. it was a huge, wait because i really wanted to s see them used in this vision that i'd had before yeah. and successfully um so i really you know had a lot of pressure on me to try and help these people these schools that had a thousand eco bricks that they didn't know what to do with now yeah um and so i found myself a lot of the time taking on more eco bricks than i could fund for so yes. and that's yeah. what these small organizations were yeah. doing constantly trying to get grant funding grant funding grant funding so that we can utilize these eco bricks but ultimately you know this waste and th this was the second thing that kind of came up quite strongly is that this isn't my responsibility this is the government's responsibility this is a formal waste system just like recyclables are just like food waste is this is another formal waste system that has no formal system yeah and who does that fall on it can't fall on small projects like mm. myself mm. to manage the waste of the entire public mm. that is not recyclable. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it will just go to landfill, rivers, oceans. No yeah. problem. Mm. <laughs> like, so you were saying to me earlier that even if those bricks aren't used, you're still um, minimizing waste by creating yeah. those eco bricks. Yeah. And you also... Um, help schools and uh, institutions mm. build benches out of them so, yeah. that you, so that you are utilizing mm. them in an easy way. Exactly. So there was a lot of things we tried to do to, to help this. We tried to get businesses to fund schools and communities that didn't have the funds because that's obviously one thing. You're mm. a school, some schools have funds, 
to do a 7,000 round bench and some don't. Yeah. So we try to link the business with the beneficiary. So we have a really lovely beneficiary list of communities and schools. And then we have really quite a lovely list of businesses who have contacted us and have become pledged partners. Yeah. And so this has helped really nicely in the last few months to create this really nice pledge partnership program that funds a lot of the schools that don't necessarily have the funds to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also on, on the group, on the individual to do something with it because you can do things without necessarily embedding it in carb, which is one of the best ways to utilize them yeah. or to sequester this waste. Yeah. And would it um, create a, a, some kind of pollutant to, if it's sitting mm. in the sun mm. inside the carb? Well, that's still something that we have to study. I can't say yeah. for sure, but I know if it is not exposed, and it is sitting in a fully cobbed structure that's thick, you know, mm. it's like it's a good few centimeters over uh -huh. that bottle on yeah. all sides. Yeah. And then there's a plaster layer. There should be very little um, any to toxins Leakage. and leakages yeah. exactly coming out. So um, in cob, I can pretty much say that with certainty because I, I know the material quite intimately. But, you know, you can look at a cement structure in itself and you can say, well, what toxic gases is that uh, giving off? Even mm. the paints that we utilize mm. today. So uh, it's been quite an interesting question for me in terms of the building side. What really is sustainable building? How does it affect the person when they're living in the structure? What happens to the structure after it's broken down? And what was the, the production effect or um, uh, yeah, effects on the environment when the, those materials were being yeah. produced yeah so we were we were kind of saying that even if you didn't do anything with an eco brick yes you just you just stuff this bottle would that be a good or bad thing so the one argument is that yes it actually would be still a good thing because that 200 items that were stuffed into that bottle are now not flying around and landing up in the ocean for potentially an animal to get stuck in or eat yeah. Um, so, so for me, that's that's a really good point, and yeah, I and I love that point, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that um, yeah, it's still worth making an eco brick even if you don't utilize it. But I still think we have the potential to do something with it ourselves. It doesn't have to necessarily go to an organization or be part of a big community project. For example, you can stick them together with silicone glue. Hmm. Silicone glue you can buy from your local hardware store. Mm -hmm. I suggest the clear, not the colorful ones. The white doesn't work. I don't know why. You need three silicone glues yeah. to stick the 19 bottles oh, wow. together. Yeah. So if you're an individual household, you're making one to two eco bricks a month, mm -hmm. you're going to you're gonna be able to make one stool. It's called modular furniture because you can actually stack them into each other, which is super cool. And this is actually one of the biggest projects we did with many schools because it was the cheapest, easiest way yes. to deal with them. And when the schools didn't have funds and we didn't have enough uh, funding, yes. um, you know, we just buy some silicone tubes. But the only thing about it is that you have to keep them indoors. You know, right. if you're going to keep those stools um, and structures outside, of course, they're going to be weathered just like any other bottle. Yeah. Within a year or two, it's going to be um, brittle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for indoor, it's really great, especially for crashes that don't necessarily have seating. Yeah. Um, I've had a little one that I made in Zambia almost 10 years ago, and I've only fixed it once with wow. 500 milliliter bottles. Cool. And they're really strong because of the hexagon shape that yes. you make. Yeah. So you make a hexagon shape, you can make quite a few, and then the idea is that they can actually stack on top of each other. So if you wanted to uh, pack it away a little bit, yeah. or if you wanted to create a bigger table, then you could do that, or if you wanted to separate them and make small little, little stools. And what I also love about the modular technique of using them, especially with schools, is that you can get very creative with what you stuff. Yeah. So for example, 
um, let's say you just stuffed straws or you just stuffed and then visually it's just really it pleasing looks nice, it yeah. looks beautiful yeah. and you can really see okay i've stuffed like cigarette butts we do, we had quite a lot of smokers who would just give us butts um, uh, bottles just stuffed with butts yeah. and then we actually counted we, we had to find out like how many butts can you fit into a bottle yeah. and it was like over 2000 butts wow. you know so it gives you so much a bottle of what size two liters, two liters. yeah okay. so it gives you just an idea of the stuff that you're consuming um, and that's kind of where, what we love about the ecobrick in terms of its, its educational um, potential so yeah. so that is something that everyone can do but the idea is that you're trying to minimize this waste and yeah. you're trying to create less and less and less yeah. right yeah. so this month i'm creating two liters of non-recyclables but i have identified three things that i can actually stop buying that carrots packaging i can just get from the lady down the road who doesn't give me packaging. Yeah. I can start shopping. And that's why we linked our Back Your Brick collection for the public yes. with zero waste stores. Yes. So that they could get to that point where they were shopping without packaging. Without packaging, and, yeah. and looking at that as an option yes. for our world. And some of our big stores still actually have the vegetables that you could unpackaged. bring your yeah. unpackaged and yeah. you bring your own packaging to put them in or yeah. Or you exactly. use a, a thin plastic from them. <laughs> exactly. And then you can just stuff that afterwards. But yeah. I had a lot of friends that actually in, over the years said to me, I think I have to stop eco-breaking because I just use it as a crutch. You know, I just go, oh, well, I can just buy it because I can eco-break it. Mm. So I loved that they were able to see that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it really is just about just doing some inner work and just saying, you know, cool, I've got this this opportunity here to to look at my waste and you might not be able to change everything but you can definitely do pretty damn well and get as little as you can you know yeah. maybe it's a 500 milliliter that you're doing yes. every month or every every second month so i'd like to end on how you uh how you use your uh, food waste vegetable mm. peels and juicing mm. bits mm. and what do I do with that to create the soil in my mm. garden? What's mm. what's practical? If I do mm. have a garden, mm. um, if I don't, as you said, you can put it in a bin. Mm. But how do I then use that to plant, to use, to create mm. good soil in my garden? Mm. Yeah, well, if you have a garden and you can utilize your food waste, then you're putting a mix of your food waste with your garden waste because you need that brown waste mixed with the green waste and so garden waste is leaves leaves sticks okay branches and so you want to make a pile if you've got dogs you generally want to close it off because obviously they want to get in there so yes. you want to use pallets or something like that to make yourself a square um, in a corner somewhere um, and then your bottom layer, you'll use nice big branches so that there's, you want air to flow through your compost mm. uh, heap. Um, so your nice big branches go under and then you just pile it like lasagna, basically. You make <laughs> a, food, a garden lasagna. I love it. Um, and you can use, really, you can use ash, you can use straw, you can use a lot of other natural kind of you, manure, for yes. example, is also really great for your compost. It depends what you want to plant. Yeah. Um, and yeah so it does take a little bit more exploring when yes. you start composting i think in terms of really what you want for your garden and um maybe you don't have a lot of garden waste and things like that so maybe you get a a, a straw bale and you can utilize that as your mix yes. um so yeah you gotta do a little bit of research but you're basically making a lasagna layer with that food waste and that uh, garden waste um and then that turns into it takes about six months to turn into soil mm -hmm. 
And you do need to turn it every so okay. every few weeks. You need okay. to turn it, so you've got to come in with a fork. And so if I don't have a space to make a, a, a heap, can mm. I dig a hole in the ground mm. and then not like obviously mm. then it wouldn't be too deep because I've mm. got to turn it, mm. right? If if you were burying it, it's not the best way to utilize the food waste, but obviously it's going to decompose and it's going to go back into the soil. Mm. But but you wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to access it again you would that would just be like i don't have any other solution right now but it is going to decompose in there mm. and and that's okay. that you know you cover it up and you wouldn't you that's not normally a way of of composting okay. in that way so i think composting is the actual transition from uh, one type of material into a usable soil yeah um so what i love though even though that's really, you know, what you can do on, on an individual level, not everyone has that potential and all that opportunity. So what's really exciting is compost uh, community gardens. And mm. if anyone ever has seen a Rania City farm market, it, not the market actually, the, the farm itself on Orange Street, it is the best example of what can be done in our country. Mm. And it's been there for 10 years now and it hasn't been copied yet or, you know, sh done anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but it's got so much potential. Have you been there? I have. It's so beautiful. Yeah. When my daughter was younger, we used to go play wow. there. Oh, yeah, it's so special. Yeah. yeah. So I went to St. Cyprian's actually next door. Um, but we lived in Tamboskloof and we didn't have a garden and so we started using that bucket system. Mm. And it even has potential for making money because people pay for their bucket up front. So mm -hmm. you pay a hundred rand a bucket. Mm -hmm. I think they've changed it now. I think they do a hundred rand every ten buckets. So you get a card and then you, you stamp your buckets. Mm -hmm. When you've got ten then you pay another. Because they need to pay the guys that are working in that garden obviously. So right. so it's quite nice. So that, that has an opportunity right then and there. Let's imagine so every community. Just explain explain what that is. So mm -hmm. you, you get a bucket from them mm -hmm. and you pay for that bucket. Mm -hmm. And then you fill that bucket with your food waste. Yeah, so you're looking at a big 20, 25 litre bucket. Yes. That's what I was talking about having outside your house or yes. on your balcony. So right. it's not your small little bucket in your kitchen that you use every day. Because you want to rinse that little bucket out. You don't want it to get stinky or anything. Every day or every second day you're emptying that out into the bigger buckets. And you're cleaning it so your kitchen's okay. nice and clean okay. so it's that full bucket of yes. waste that you've been collecting over the weeks that you're taking to the community garden you're emptying it and rinsing your bucket out that's what they do now when i first was there you would just swap a bucket you would just right. get another clean one in exchange but what they found was people were actually quite attached to their buckets <laughs> and the next time they wouldn't get their same bucket yeah. and they were like all oh, like so i thought that was so interesting yeah. in terms of community feedback yes um so now it's you t put out your own compost you rinse your own bucket they've got water there and you take your bucket back okay um and then you do the same so Fill now it up, take it exactly it, so just imagine each community had a community garden okay they were providing organic amazing food for their community they were also accepting the food waste from mm. their local community turning that back into soil good organic soil to feed back into their good organic garden to then feed the people again with that good with food food with, that has been grown from high nutrient soil exactly yeah and then it's just going back and forth because now you're eating the really good veg and and fruits coming from the good soils coming from the good seed and that good food waste is going back into the bucket back into the soil and so it goes Amazing. so for me that is it every community needs a community garden that's providing it. them food accepting their food waste mm. and if there could be a waste resource center there too mm. then that would be the best and yeah. that that's what i saw in zambia in our work in zambia um, because you would have these beautiful communities and then you'd have near each community one big pile 
and then the government would come and clean that up. That, yeah. that was where they would take their waste, you know? Yeah. So just imagine that pile where it was easy for people to walk and dump their stuff anyway. Yes. That place became the waste to resource center. Yes. That was a garden providing yes. the food but also then you could come with your food waste bucket and your bag of clean recyclables and it could be handed in there and dealt with by the those and get your vegetables community. at the same time exactly <laughs> that's a beautiful I've got a lot vision. of ideas yeah it's no, a very very beautiful yeah. vision and it's yeah. and it's very doable it is it doable. definitely is yeah. Yeah, yeah even if it's just for the food waste yeah um, but definitely for the recycling because even in south africa for our townships um, in Zamietu, for example, in Hape, has 26 blue containers. So each township gets a variety of containers, mostly blue, and then they get a blue bag for, from the government, and they must fill their blue bag and put it in that container. And it leads to so much other issues, especially sanitary waste, mm. with, uh, sanitary issues with um, how people go to the toilet because they're mostly using public toilets. Mm. They're scared to do that at night. This is the research that I've done specifically within Zamietu because there is a recycling depot down there and that woman had to stop collecting paper and cardboard mm. as a recyclable because unfortunately people have to poo on cardboard and paper in their homes mm. at night time, especially mm. women and children, because they don't want to go to the public loos. And then mm. that's what they put in their recycling bags oh, or, you know, and so they had to stop collecting paper yeah. and cardboard as the local Zamiatu recycler because of that issue. Mm. And those containers are filled with poo and wee around them, you know, mm. so it's just, it's just a dead zone. None of that material can just be utilized. Mm. Each township that has a container, that stuff's just going straight to landfill, you know, yeah. where it has this really great potential to be a thriving resource center where yeah. everything has a place to go. It, we're greening the spaces. And for me, the vision would be building with the eco bricks and the cob in these gardens could even build the compost bays out of the eco bricks and carb. Yes. Then that just feeds out slowly but surely. Well, let me build my little compost toilet also yeah. out of cob. Yeah. Let me build a storage space out of this material, you yeah. know, and hopefully it would grow like that. Yeah, yeah. So just spreading awareness, hopefully more people hear your vision yeah. and, and can, can copy that yeah. anywhere in the world. Exactly. It's, it's, it works anywhere. Exactly. So thank you so mm. much for being here. Thank you so much for for explaining all these, the yeah. ins and outs and, and the wider picture mm -hmm. as well to, mm -hmm. to our listeners. Thank you for having me, yeah, it was good. Thank you so much for being here and listening to Nixie Pod. You can follow me, Nikki Felbert, on Instagram and Twitter, and you can check out my latest film, Origins of Consciousness, on Fundraiser and Facebook. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe, rate, and review Nixie Pod on this podcast and on YouTube.